And I shoot my shot and stuck a wild way it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a book. I hit that Janobi with my left hand all like, woo! Bitch, you wasn't with me shooting in the gym. James Harden with the range on me, nigga, way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine circus. And you could live through anything if magic made it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, now you do. What up, my fellow NBA lovers? This is your guy, Marcellus Ease. You know, as we get deeper into these playoffs, a lot of things are taking shape throughout the NBA. That's pretty much going to change the landscape of the league from here on out going forward. We're starting to see some mid to small size NBA franchises make deep playoff runs and headed towards the finals. And honestly, some of their teams, the way their roster is constructed, they're going to be competing for the next couple of years. But normally, these NBA franchises have owners that normally don't spend a lot of money. They don't like dipping into the luxury tax. But due to the fact that they have a lot of young players, and at the same time, there's a lot of new money coming into the NBA in regards to new NBA team owners, a lot of these franchises will begin to start spending money. And the franchises I'm making reference to is the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets. Now, the Phoenix Suns are in a funny predicament here. They're going to have to deal with CP3. And he's going to, believe it or not, opt out at the age of 36 out of his $44 million one-year player option. And he will be looking for another three years on top for $100 million. So the Phoenix Suns are going to have to take that gamble, especially after paying Devin Booker. And eventually, they're going to have to pay DeAndre Aiden. So that ownership normally does not like to dip in a luxury tax like that. But in order to stay competitive, they're going to have to pay CP3 and take the risk of him being injured and potentially not living out that contract. Because if they don't, what are they really saying to Devin Booker, and especially to their fan base? Because it looks like they're on the verge of possibly making it to the NBA Finals. And also, they're going to put pressure on their crosstown rival, the Denver Nuggets, Another team that has owners that don't like to dip in the luxury tax. But they do have Gordon, which they acquired from Orlando. They do have Jokic, Jamal Murray. And at some point, they're going to have to make a decision on whether or not they're going to pay Michael Porter Jr. So they will have pressure on both sides from Phoenix and Denver to remain competitive and possibly dip into that luxury tax. And best believe the Utah Jazz quiet is kept. Their new owners putting pressure on the Denver Nuggets and the Phoenix Suns in order to stay competitive. Because after buying the team from Gail Miller this summer, he has shown that he is not afraid to spend money by paying Rudy Gobert in order for the Utah Jazz, a small market team, to remain competitive. So the Utah Jazz new owner is like one of these Mark Cuban babies. He's a Jazz fanatic and he's willing to go all out to make sure the Jazz can win and he has deep enough pockets especially after that tech company that he sold to a group of investors. And when I say that he's a Mark Cuban baby, I'm making the same reference to how a lot of young kids, when they play basketball today and then they come into the league, we see that they're sort of Stephen Curry babies. The way they play the game, shit, you could look at Trey Young's game. You could tell he's a Stephen Curry baby. And it's sort of the same way with the NBA owners. Mark Cuban was this NBA owner for the first time that we ever seen that he came out of nowhere, he was in the stands, he was cheering hard, he was obsessed with his team. A lot of the NBA owners, you barely even see them. But Mark Cuban presented this new type of archetype of owners 
he was much younger than what the typical NBA owner is as far as the age. And right now, due to a lot of new money coming into the market, especially coming from tech, there's a lot of new owners entering the league that are as young as Mark or even younger and they're fanatics of their teams. And they're using the Mark Cuban approach as far as being an NBA owner that's involved with the team. They're cheering in the stands with the fans. You see that Mark Cuban energy, that shit is really infectious. And a lot of owners, even regardless of age, because you could look at Steve Ballmer and the Clippers, he uses that Mark Cuban energy. You see him sitting in the stands. He's, you know, he's going, ah, he's screaming and he's excited. He's pumped. That Mark Cuban energy is real. And a lot of the new owners that are coming into the league, they see that and they want to duplicate the same thing to galvanize their fan base. So going back to the initial point, there's a new crop of NBA ownership that's coming into the league. One, coming from new money. And two, they're coming with the approach of sort of spending money like a fan would on building their teams. So they're not scared of dipping into that luxury tax. And it's not just the mid-sized market teams that this is going to affect. We have even small market teams like the Memphis Grizzlies who have a young tech owner and he does have the financial backing to dip into that luxury tax, even though the Memphis Grizzlies are run like a mom and pop franchise. <sighs> I'm telling you, when Gail Miller had sold the Utah Jazz this summer, it kind of began to signal the changing of the guard of a style of NBA owner. You know, the let's not spend a lot of money type of owner. They're using their team as a cash flow and they're very scared to dip into the luxury tax. Those type of owners eventually cannot compete in the league because you're even going to have small market teams with new NBA owners, especially coming from tech, and they're going to be willing to dip into the tax. So how are those franchises going to compete? And the example of a franchise I'm going to give you is the Indiana Pacers. Their ownership does not like spending money at all. Their business model is just to stay competitive. And I'll put a link in the description below. Paul George actually said this out of his own mouth because the Pacers had a chance to get Anthony Davis and they declined because pretty much from what Paul George said is that the Pacers responsibility with the city was just to keep the team competitive. That was their whole business model. So NBA owners that kind of take that approach eventually with all this new money moving into the league, it's going to put pressure on those owners to spend money, a.k.a. The Pacers, aka in the next few years, we'll see the Denver Nuggets and this summer the Phoenix Suns. They're going to be under pressure to spend money. So this will have a trickle down effect. And some of these owners probably will end up selling the team like Gail Miller did, even though she and her husband were in the Utah Jazz very successfully for 30 years operating as a mom and pop. But they kept that team very competitive. But that sort of approach is going to have to change because there's a lot of new money coming to the league and these guys are spending money like real fanatics of the team now here's something i've been looking at for a while now it's the nba buyout market particularly when it comes to players that used to perform at a max level players like andre drummond recently blake griffin josh smith demarcus cousins as to now being a minimal contract salary guy now some of the players i named do have injury issues but in the case of Andre Drummond he's still young he's still in his prime it's going to be very interesting this offseason to see what deal the Lakers give him because he'll be the first player in a long time to get bought out and then play for a minimum salary and then receive a contract offer for somewhere back to his original value or his present market value 
Because a lot of these guys, low-key, I'm not sure they're realizing. Once they accept that minimal contract, there's something going around with a bunch of the executives around the league. They're sort of going to lowball these guys after. And they're pretty much battling each other to see who can lowball the player the most. Let's say if they normally could start out at 20 million a year, they would just start out at like five, six million a year. And then the highest it would go is possibly 6.5 or 7. Like it's almost like these executives begin to just battle each other out by just lowballing the player. So basically erasing his market value. And with the case of Andre Drummond, it's going to be very interesting because he's still in his prime age and his skill set is still sort of needed. We've seen the return of the big man this season with Jokic and Embiid and a defender like Andre Drummond will have some value. But one thing I see that's already playing out is that he joined the Lakers because Rob Palenka promised him to start. But then during the playoffs, as you've seen, he didn't really start sometimes. And sometimes even Montrez Herald was his backup. So there's a little issue going on over there. But at the same time, he is in his prime years. So I'm curious to see if he's the first player in a long time to come out of that rabbit hole of just being that guy that got bought out and then accepting a minimal contract and then eventually earn something back to his market value. Because keep in mind, we already seen the league kind of transform in the past couple of years where a lot of these NBA executives, they do not even want to pay the vet minimum on some of these veteran players. So they rather get two or three younger guys. So I'm wondering if something similar sort of playing out where these guys get bought out and all of a sudden, every executive kind of labels them the minimal contract guy especially if they tend to accept that trying to chase championships they sort of become that now so it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out because deandre drummond is not injured and he's young enough to be in his prime years now last year in the bubble there was a lot of talk about mental health issues and mental health awareness month etc there's a lot of branding and promotion of players who normally don't even speak up but Best believe some of this is a branding opportunity and it is also a good opportunity to bring up something that players are going through. But at the same time, some of these guys have to realize what kind of line of business they're in. See, if, if a guy like Kobe Bryant was still in the league, he would take advantage of a lot of these guys on the floor when it comes to some of these issues. Now, this is a basketball related issue when it's on the court. I'm not talking about in real life in the outside world. But when it comes to the game of basketball, there are a lot of psychological things that happen within the court as far as getting in players' heads and affecting their psyche. And just sometimes being a bit too transparent for some of these guys like DeMar DeRozan and Paul George about some of these mental health issues, it's going to end up costing them a lot down the line. As we've seen, especially this season playing out with Paul George, as he's sort of actually trying to gain his respect back as far as being a star in the league and also one of the leaders of his team. You see, with all this social media and everyone trying to be transparent, sometimes you don't want to let people in too much, especially according to the line of work that you do. Paul George is a basketball player, and on the court, it's sometimes a piece of art seeing these guys play, and it's also a battle. It's almost like being in a battlefield, and you can't let your opponents know too much about some of your weaknesses something like mental health issues is not something some of these nba players because of their line of work especially the stars the guys that have a lot of responsibilities 
to hold a lot of the weight on their shoulders as far as a team being successful these guys don't want to be too transparent to let their opponents know that they suffer from certain psychological issues and it's almost like this season we're watching paul george playing like he's trying to prove something to somebody and it doesn't make sense and it sometimes throws you off from your game once again the transparency it might be a little bit too much because it depends on your line of work a commander on the battlefield wouldn't let the rest of his soldiers know that he suffers from psychological issues because they're relying on him on the battlefield to give him certain instructions to make sure everyone tries to get back home safe and in the case of paul george and demar derozan they're sort of one of these commanders slash generals on the basketball court trying to lead their team to victory so you don't want your opponents to know that you suffer from psychological issues even your teammates because they're going to know at the end of the day when the pressure comes on your decision making is going to be questionable believe it or not all this social media and some of this technology is in its infancy stage and we're seeing how some of these things are beginning to play out some of these guys want to refrain from being too transparent and too open because watching these guys in real time suffer through some of the trials and tribulations because of some of these things is our first sort of field test to see how some of these things are going to play out and a lot of these players will have to watch their back with the media involving some of these situations because some of these issues like mental health issues and everyone being woke a lot of these things the media use it as a way of branding and so they'll initially be on your side but eventually paul george will get trolled by the media because of these issues they'll say something like oh you know he suffered from mental issues last season in the bubble and it could be one of the reasons why this year he's haven't had a good season they will eventually stab you in the back with your transparency so a lot of these players that already have a lot of issues with the media especially the way the league is being covered they might want to dial it back a bit due to their line of work now in this unique nba season due to the fact that the schedule was very compressed with the late start and especially with the late finish We've seen a number of key injuries that happened to a lot of the stars in the league, especially in this year's playoffs. But this year, we also seen a different trend with the combination of players being very conscious about their nutrition, the advances in modern medicine, and the league evolving into a more finesse, skilled game. We're going to start to see players' primes last into their mid-30s, even as far as going up to age 37, 38. We've seen CP3 at age 36 this season have a hell of a year. Even though the schedule has been compressed, for the most part, he kind of stayed relatively healthy. Kevin Durant coming off that Achilles injury at age, I believe, 32, 33. He looks in prime form. LeBron James at age 36 is playing more minutes than ever. Even though in a compressed season, he broke down at the end. For the most part, his output isn't as far off as it was when he was in his 20s. And James Harden, for all the minutes he's played in the past few seasons and all the usage he takes up at age 31, there's still not really much of a drop-off, even though for the most part this season he was out of shape. But relatively, if he stays in shape, he should continue to have the same output because he's not taking as many bumps, especially in the past seven years, due to the fact that the league made some of the rule changes. And most importantly, Stephen Curry, my God, he probably had one of his best seasons at age 33 and we've seen him for the most part this season for the first time in a long time be relatively healthy 
once again the league has changed the rules in which the game now is more skilled and it's more finesse guys don't have to take the ball to the rack as much they don't have to get bumped and bruised like the early 2000s but all the players i just named are in a group as part of the first wave of players that sort of in the middle of their careers the league transitioned to being a more skilled game and a finesse game and this is part of the first wave of players that are going to see their prime years last a little bit longer but the players that come after them the players in michael porter jr's class the jamal murray class the luka Doncic class those players may see their prime years last even longer due to the fact that by the time they were already drafted into the league the league already made those transitions so initially their rookie year the league was already a three-point shooting league a skilled game the guys didn't have to go to the rack as much so their prime years definitely might last a lot longer than their previous predecessors speaking of rule changes for the 2021 to 2022 season the league has finally now limit the type of non-basketball moves that are gonna draw fouls and the moves i'm making reference to is guys kicking out their legs sort of like a lot of the moves that james harden does when he takes the ball to the rack trey young a lot of the stopping you know bumping into guys or jumping backwards a lot of that's going to stop that's going to be offensive foul now if it's not a basketball move where you're dribbling if you you know jump sideways into a guy or you jump forward into a guy a lot of those plays will be offensive fouls now and this is a beautiful thing because now it speeds up the game there's less fouls because it's already bad with all these replay reviews and then you add all these ticky tack I'm gonna jump into you fouls it slows down the game it makes for a bad television product and a viewing product in the arenas so this is a good job by the league they're gonna start implementing this stuff in this year's summer league and then the players have the whole offseason to make their adjustments so it'll be very interesting to see how James Harden implements some of this into his game and same thing for players like Trey Young who a lot of these guys they live off of these moves and they're able to add about five to six points extra into their total scores every single game. So it'll be very interesting to see how these guys maneuver and possibly find new ways to actually add on extra points to their averages. But let's keep this in mind. These NBA games are actual entertainment product. And it's beautiful to see Adam Silver. He keeps tweaking and trying to figure out what makes for a great entertaining product just like how the nfl does it the nfl has tweaked their product so well that's actually almost too perfect on tv versus going to the actual games and once again it's good to see that adam silver is making the necessary adjustments because a lot of these nba games especially this particular season they're taking way too long to end once we hit under two minutes it's like the games have another 45 minutes left. So this will be a great adjustment. And I expect more tweaks here and there, especially with these coaching challenges. Last but not least, I want to talk about Brad Stevens being anointed as a good head coach a little bit too early on, but yet still getting a promotion with Danny Ainge announcing his retirement. And also, we're going to talk about Danny Ainge. What is he going to be remembered for? As he played it safe for most of his 18 years, in the Boston Celtics front office. And without his Hall of Fame teammate, Kevin McHale, bailing him out with that Kevin Garnett trade in 2007, what exactly would he be remembered for? At first, I'm gonna start off with Mr. Play Safe Danny Ainge. As for most of his career in Boston, 
especially in the front office role he played a bit too safe and he didn't really leave a lot of breathing room for brad stevens as brad could not manage all the personalities he got particularly from all the young draft picks that boston was hoarding now danny ainge's big break came in 2007 after the boston celtics finished with one of the worst records in the league he kind of bailed him out with that kevin garnett trade in which the t-wolves pretty much got nothing back for it they just got a bunch of names Ryan Gomes, Gerald Green, Sebastian Telfair, Theo Ratliff, Al Jefferson, which Al Jefferson is probably their best piece, but he didn't even last that long on that team. And eventually, they traded two first-round picks also, which were Johnny Flynn and Wayne Ellington. And pretty much the Celtics were able to get Garnett, and they were able to also get Ray Allen in a separate deal, and they were able to win the championship next year. So this is pretty much the highlight of Danny Ainge's career. And once again, Danny Ainge definitely had a connection to Kevin McHale as they both won championships in Boston in their playing days. And best believe Garnett did not want to sign an extension with Boston, but eventually he was convinced to do so. But I'm surprised a lot more people don't question this trade because Kevin McHale had a history of doing shady deals while he was a general manager down in Minnesota. In 1999, he was able to pry away the 1995 first overall draft pick, Joe Smith, from the Golden State Warriors. He was able to get him away from there and sign him to a one-year deal for $1.7 million. Now, the league was questioning how the hell was he able to get this deal because Joe Smith had rejected the Warriors' $80 million extension just to sign with Kevin McHale for one year for 1.7 million dollars and it come to find out that they did an under the deal table in which the league end up taking away minnesota's 2001 2002 and 2004's draft picks so at the end of the day the minnesota timberwolves gave away kevin garnett which is a ferrari for a bunch of sedans and two draft picks that ended up being two more sedans which nobody questioned at all but for danny ainge this was a blessing in disguise and he was able to win a ring in 2008 with KG, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. After that, Danny Ainge was able to strike lightning twice because he was able to get Kyrie Irving from the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2017, and all he had to do was give up a second-round pick and some cash and Isaiah Thomas, which is a player he did not want to re-sign anyway. That was a blessing in disguise, which he couldn't take advantage of anyway because Gordon Hayward ended up getting hurt. Kyrie ended up leaving the team for nothing. They did not even go after AD. They did not go after Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, and Paul George. Danny Ainge played it a little bit too safe. Even guys like Terry Rozier in the earlier years, I believe around 2016, he'd even trade him off to get some sort of asset for him. Same thing for Kyrie, same thing for Gordon Hayward. He didn't put the pressure for these guys to make a decision and they were allowed to walk off with no asset being returned back to them. We also got to look at the Al Horford move that ended up not working out for the Celtics and they had to sacrifice a draft pick in order to get rid of him. At the end of the day, between 2017 through 2019, the Celtics had a nice combination of young assets and draft picks to make a move to go after someone. But Danny Ainge played it a little bit too safe and had too many young players on this team which the personalities was clashing with veteran players and with the Gordon Hayward situation, him being injured and getting paid so much money, 
They didn't understand why he played so many minutes in some of these lineups. So all these things were going on at once. And he kind of left it for Brad Stevens to kind of manage the personalities, which none of this ended up working out. And when you combine this with the league watching Isaiah Thomas play hurt and his sister going through that car crash and him still showing up for the Celtics, but yet getting screwed over when it came time for him to get paid, it didn't really go over too well with other players throughout the league. As far as Boston being a destination, especially due to the fact that Kawhi Leonard did not want to sign an extension and especially Anthony Davis. Boston had a nice package for him, but he didn't want to go there. And in my personal opinion, I believe the Isaiah Thomas situation left a huge disdain in a lot of players' mouths throughout the league for what Danny Ainge did. So not only were the Celtics not a destination while Ainge was there, but they could not take advantage of LeBron leaving the conference. And then the final nail in the coffin is the Kimball Walker situation not working out. They might have played him when he was still injured instead of waiting for him to fully recover because they felt pressured, especially last year in the bubble, to have an opportunity to chase that championship. The only difference with that Kimball Walker versus the Isaiah Thomas situation is that Kimball Walker is already locked in and he's going to get his money regardless. So a lot of the mismanagement of the roster and assets left Brad Stevens in an odd predicament because he got anointed as a good head coach due to the fact that the Celtics got far without Kyrie in 2018. But in 2019, he couldn't quite manage the personalities of so many young guys trying to figure out what they could do and continue their success when the pressure was on for them to get to the same point that they got the year before. So they were kind of having a conflict with Kyrie on who's the better player or who's the alpha in the situation. It seemed like nobody wanted to follow Kyrie and Kyrie probably wanted more polished guys. So Danny Angel should have pulled the trigger, perhaps packaged Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum in a deal to get a more polished player. He had the assets and the picks at the time. I believe he even had the Memphis Grizzlies uh, draft pick. But Brad Stevens definitely got the anointment of being a good head coach a little bit too early because the Al Horford situation was mismanaged by him and Danny Ainge. And the writing on the wall was Kyrie was not going to stay there. It was obvious that he didn't really fit in with that team and that these guys were bumping heads. So part of a coach's job is also to manage the personnel. And as 2019 and 2020 has come around, we've seen the results of the Celtics getting bounced out in the first round, going to the game seven with the Raptors last season in the bubble, and then eventually getting knocked out by the Heat when they were actually predicted to be the favorites. And then this season, of course, they've underperformed, especially the situation with Kimber Walker. It's not really been a good fit. But yeah, even though Brad Stevens haven't quite fully proven himself yet as being that good coach that can lead the team deep into the playoffs, into the finals, He's quickly taken out of that role, and now he's supposed to manage personnel, which was something he wasn't even initially good at, as being the head coach of the Celtics, particularly when Kyrie was there with all those personalities, bumping heads with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But now he's going to have to manage personnel from an executive role. And I'm wondering how that's going to play out, because he didn't really even prove himself as a head coach. So... This is a funny and unique area that Boston is in. Brad Stevens didn't really even get to prove himself as coach, but maybe he has a lot more imagination when it comes to putting a team together 
than Danny Ainge does. Because once again, Danny Ainge played it a little bit too safe. Year after year, there was way too many opportunities to take a chance on possibly getting Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, Paul George. The list goes on and on. And yet Danny Ainge didn't really put anything into work. There was more rumors around what the Boston Celtics might do versus us hearing them actually making a push to actually get something done. Shit, you can make the argument they should have made moves to even go after Kyle Lowry, seeing that this Kimball Walker situation wasn't going to work out. It is what it is. It's not like the Celtics would ever say we're firing our Hall of Fame legend Danny Ainge. They pretty much probably came to an agreement and parted ways. That's in my personal opinion what happened. But that Kimball Walker situation was pretty much the straw that broke the camel's back. And as we've seen Brad Stevens make his first move in his front office role by getting rid of Kimball Walker, it seems like the Boston Celtics are in a rebuilding mode and they might not even know it. So it is what it is. Until next time, you guys stay safe. Peace.